0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. My name is Elliot Morgan. This is Peter Rollins. I'm very excited about this episode, Pete.
1: Yes. Oh, good. This is my idea, which is to, to not have my idea, but to ask other people to give yes. ideas. Yeah. So
0: we did it. We, we outsourced the topics. Also, we just did a classic Fundamentalists move where we had a really deep conversation (laughs) for about two minutes. And then I was like, anyway, we'll hit record right there. And uh, so it's a nice, I like the immediate shift.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) It's like someone came into the room and it's you guys. Welcome. Um, welcome. If this is your first time listening, I think you're going to have a great time. It's a very good podcast. It's irregular. It's a little (laughs) sloppy at times. But boy, oh boy, is there occasionally some fun things, some fun insights. Do you think it is a
1: good podcast? Yeah, I do. Good, Yeah,
0: I wouldn't keep doing it if I didn't. And I, well, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> there are yeah. some things I do that I do not anyway. Yeah. That's for a different time. But uh let's uh let's dive in. So you outsourced, you asked uh anyone you could. You went all over.
1: Oh, by the way, can I mention for anybody's watching, I am wearing this uh kind of indoor outdoor shirt.
0: Yes. you're so, morning
1: Hugh Hefner. Yeah. More yeah, that's it. That's yeah. what the to so like, I was going for. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, not quite pajamas, and it's not something you could go out in, but it's something you could like hang about at the pool. And, right. You
0: know. My um, one, two of my favorite people, Tim and Adam. Tim is uh, Grace's brother. Oh yes. And uh, they will listen, but they, they to this podcast, but they only listen audio wise, mm. and they were curious about what you look like. And so I can only hope this is the first <laughs> episode they actually visually see yes. me. Yeah. Um oh boy, that'd be funny. I can't <laughs> wait to hear what they say because they're very funny people. All right. So let's dive into it, guys. Yeah, you okay. you said a bunch of stuff. We're gonna do some that are probably too big to answer fully, but we're gonna riff on them. Uh, Pete's gonna give a response. I'm gonna give a response. We're going to play around, a little loosey-goosey, because these are really good. These are really, really, really good. Some of them are. There's
1: loads, and I, like, I literally half an hour ago, I said, Elliot's on his way around. It's my turn for a topic. Help Help me out. (laughs) And uh, there must be 20 or 30 comments so far. I'm sure there's more coming in. Yes.
0: Uh, Well, here we go. You ready? Mm -hmm. Okay, so... um, I'm not going to say the names. People sometimes get weird about that. So if this is you, thank you so much for the question. So this, I thought, was an excellent uh, prompt, and it's how to muster up curiosity again and lessen the feelings of being jaded. That I, my, I, When you read that option, I was like, did I? As a man who's Was very me?
1: jaded, you were... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did I write that? Yeah. Uh, so
0: what do you think, Pete? I'm curious. To, yeah. I, too, would love to know how to muster curiosity. <laughs> yeah, so I like
1: this one. I'm going to say a little bit and then hear your thoughts. I love it. Yeah. Um, I want to start by saying in... So in French psychoanalysis... Here we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the Kainianism, yeah, can't stop. But um, there is a notion that um, we're all hysterics. Uh, although some people are pathologically hysterical, um, actually, there's something about being human, which means we're all to some extent hysterics, which simply means we're all people who are a question onto ourselves. So the hysterical thing is, who am I? What am I? What am I doing with my life? Where am I going? Should I really believe what people are saying? Should I really go with the common sense Uh, whether in science or in education or government, it's the questioning. And Heidegger talks about this. He says, what makes a human being a human being is that we are a question unto ourselves. Like a dog doesn't ask what it is to be a dog. We don't say something's very undog, like. A dog's Mm -hmm. a dog, a rock is a rock. But a human being is a person who asks what it is to be human. And we do it every time. Like when you come in here and we decide whether to have a drink of alcohol or a cup of coffee, we're making a decision about what type of person we are we generally choose alcohol well i don't like you know? this example <laughs> um so even if i if my mum phones and i'm like whether i answer or don't answer i'm deciding something um about what it is and who i am mm-hmm. so all that to say if this is the case that to be human is to is to actually be inherently curious to inherently ask questions then when we, when you meet somebody who doesn't ask questions, it's because they're repressing their questions. It's not because they're certain, it's because they have repressed uncertainty. So fundamentalism isn't certainty, it's repressed uncertainty, where certain questions, we're just too scared to ask and we hide them. We just obey the religious institution, the government, whatever it is, we just want someone else to think for us, answer our questions for us. And all of this to say, I know this is a long winded whatever, um, is to say that um, when, to, if you're in an environment where you can lower your defences, be less scared, less anxious, you will naturally find curiosity bubbling up. Like you don't actually have to make yourself curious; the curiosity is already there. The questioning is you're, you already are a question to yourself, and all you need to do is create an environment where really you're in a community of grace where people accept you for who you are. They love you and care for you. And gradually your defense is lower and you'll probably realize that you're full of questions about life, about yourself, about the world. The curiosity is in there. It's just being repressed and hidden because of fear, anxiety, negativity.
0: That's very lovely. Uh, Lots, lots of... uh... Lots to go off on there. What it reminded me of was Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. And it sounds like what you're saying is if you can create an environment for yourself where you're not, say, freaking out about everything, which I think is increasingly difficult in this chaotic, high uh, high dose of information age we live in, um, by the way, it's Pavlov's hierarchy of I me. Mean, yeah, no, dude.
1: I, I did I wanted to make that joke, he, which know. is a terribly stupid joke of like correcting no, I mean, me incorrectly.
0: I, I'm surprised I didn't <laughs> it's, say it's, that.
1: It's Maslow's dog. It's Maslow's dog
0: on Pavlov's hierarchy of I me. Mean. Yes. And the dog would ring depending on whether or not it had family nearby and shelter <laughs> and food. Uh, yeah. So it, it, I like the uh, what you're saying. The, the yeah, I think what also I would say is I think curiosity is. This is an interesting topic mm. for me personally. People who lack curiosity sometimes irk me a little bit, and uh, we can go down the projection route, and we can go, well, of course, that's just me projecting onto them, and it must be that their lack of curiosity means that I'm jealous of it, blah, blah, blah. However, I also think sometimes when people, uh, and I think this goes to what you're saying, sometimes when people don't have curiosity, and I have to remind myself of this, it is because they operate in a way that is a little um, tightly bound. And my experience with certain folks, I think I've heard this recently where people who sometimes experience trauma or they experience rough upbringings uh, in some way have a difficulty looking inward. So they keep things on the outside all the time. And I think that can create a lack of curiosity for folks. So sometimes I wonder if it's a result of um, kind of what you're saying, like some sort of thing that is not able to fully settle and relax cuz i do believe that when you are in a environment where your guard is down curiosity ideas humor uh all this stuff can bubble up and yes. uh, i think that's very nice but I, I i relate very much to the question because curiosity i don't have a, a too much of a problem with i think i got that in in spades but the certain other aspects of like where how do you generate this type of thing is a yeah. very um i also think I mean, this is just a pure union whatever the uh the this uh almost obsessive desire to solve things about ourselves is considered in some post union circles a very ego driven thing it's almost like we have this heroic compulsive need to fix ourselves constantly and to be like i have this And so I need to fix this when in actuality uh, that is just basically a complex that is that is being activated in you. And so when you go, how do I get more curious? How do I get more curious? You, you're you inflamed by something uh, that, and I again think that, yeah. that glosses over a little bit where you're saying.
1: Absolutely. And then in, in the Lacanian thing is that, which is very similar here, is um, that in the history of thought, there's been this desire to define and describe what hysteria is, whether it's a biological thing, a mental state, whether it's possession by spirits, right? There's all these different ways of trying to name uh, what hysteria is. But what Freud did, which is really interesting, was he let the hysterics speak. So instead of kind of naming it and saying this is what it is, let us speak. Because one of the things, if, if universally to be a creature of language is to be, a creature of self-questioning, then um, basically the desire to get fixed and to find the answer and to have security and to have the kind of everything nailed down always feels. So even when people are or into self-help, or it, that here, there's some people I know who are always looking for the thing that's gonna work. And so they're looking for the next thing, maybe it's commodity satisfaction, psychedelic enlightenment, sexual liberation, right? They move through all these ersatz gods, right? Trying to find the thing, um, even doing courses that, that will have the answer. And for a moment, they feel great. So for like maybe a week, they're like, I find the answer, right? This is it. But inevitably it feels. But in the Lacanian thing is the reason why it feels is because we are a question unto ourselves. Not that What the answer is, is the answer is to enjoy the curiosity, to enjoy the fact that you can never kind of nail things down. You can never have something that kind of like sews everything up.
0: I love how so many of these things always go back to those little cliches. Like uh, it's about the journey, not the destination. <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah, about yeah. the recognizing that you're not going to find some sweet answer. But uh, yeah, yeah the, and I also think um, like uh, creates like, and uh, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, you you get curious about something, and it's going to generate more curiosity about about something else. Oh, because can, my experience, yeah. it never ends. It's just a never ending tunnel. If you find something out, then you go, well, what does that mean about this? And then it just it becomes uh, really fun.
1: Yes. Oh, you know, we a few things on this. Just thought of something else. Well, the the, the more boring thing first, which is um, uh, if you're having an argument with somebody, somebody, a friend or a partner, uh, you see something on the news about the Ukraine and Russia, and you have a position, and then the other person disagrees with you, and then they have a position. What can sometimes happen is within 10 minutes, you're both arguing like you're world experts like you know everything about world geopolitical situation and and like you know
0: where those countries are yeah yeah you (laughs) can even find them on a map you know
1: (laughs) you know the history of this of the country and everything um and so you're like this uh Uh, but then one person if one person goes you know what to be honest with you i don't really know what i'm talking about i mean i have some thoughts but like i i honestly i've just like i've literally done one google search on it it allows the other person to then go, oh, yeah, you know what? I Like, I'm the same. And then what can happen is a real conversation. So how the curiosity is developed is through your own humility. Like, well, if you create a space where you say to someone, like, I'm not sure what I think. The other person, their defense is lower and they're like, well, to be honest, I'm not sure
0: what I think. And then the curiosity is. is yeah. yeah. Boy, that's difficult, though. It's so much more fun to pretend that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, we would know. I
1: know. Uh, <laughs> by the way, do you know where I think this comes from? This is the Lacanian reading of this. I, I'm interested in this because I've just, I've just read a manuscript by a guy called Richard Boothby. He's a really great philosopher, psychoanalytic theorist, um, and uh, he, basically one of the things he talks about in the book. It's called the working title is is nothing secret, which I love, but I think it's going to be called something else when it gets published. Um, he argues that is it like nothing sacred or no thing yes is yeah. nothing sacred is the nothing sacred i know we say i love you know <laughs> it's very clever uh, but i think the publishers want to call it embracing the void which is not you know so so right. interesting yeah but is nothing sacred i really like um but from the kenyan perspective so freud famously he saw his his nephew or his grandson uh, throwing a cotton reel you know about this? It's in Beyond the Pleasure Principle. He's throwing a cotton reel off into the distance and then the parent gives him the cotton reel back and the kid throws it away. Kid gets it back. And Freud calls this the Fort Da game, which is the most primitive game all kids play, throwing their foot off, uh, you know, their tray. Mm-hmm. And then the parent... Fetch. It's about fetch. Basically, it's fetch. It's presence and absence. And um, so Freud noticed his grandson playing this, 18-month-old, and he kind of postulated that this is, in one sense, the the beginning of language, because language requires two signifiers. You can't have a one word language, you have to have two, because there has to be a slide of signifiers. So presence and absence. The absence generates the possibility of presence. Presence generates the anticipation of absence, right? So the kid is, in one way, probably playing with controlling the very first thing that they've experienced, which is the presence and absence of the mother, or the mother's breast. The mother's breast is present, and it's absent, absent, and present, and they're not in control of it. But this kid was getting immense pleasure from controlling presence and mm-hmm. absence. So that's that's kind of the beginning of scientific cause and effect thinking, right? Is presence and <laughs> absence. Oh, go ahead. Matt, I you more. Well, I've got yeah, I was going to jump into but now I'm going to make a deeper point. So do you want
0: to comment on uh, that first? I have a different thing, yeah. but I'd oh. love to hear that you're ending it because mine is a little bit of a derail.
1: Oh derail. Okay. But well, it's I'll keep related
0: going. to the language thing, which I think is
1: Okay, well then come back to that. I'll finish this thought. That's great. We'll get us go. So yeah, so that's presence <laughs> and absence. <laughs> but then Lacan, uh, you know, using Freud talks about a more interesting type of presence and absence that the child experiences which is called, Freud calls it dasting, the thing. And the thing is the abyss of the mother others desire. So the infant experiences this thought that there's something that my mother desires. I don't quite know what her desire is, but I, I feel the desire. So it's present, but it's also absent because you don't quite know what your parents desire. You feel it, you can kind of navigate it, but it's also quite mysterious. This is called the dasting. And this is where curiosity comes, begins, is that there's something about the other that is mysterious. We don't know about it, we, and, and we're, we're scared of it, and we're also drawn to it. We're repulsed by it, and we're, we're, we also want it. And then that thing is connected to another concept for the can, which is called object A. And object A, or objet putia, they always, they don't translate it, is where in our adult life, there is the reliving of that primal encounter with what does my mother or what does the other desire of me? And, okay.
0: Yes, <clears throat> that is quite Lacanian.
1: That's quite Lacanian. But, but for that, that's that from a Lacanian perspective is where curiosity, why curiosity is universal because there's, from when we're infants,
0: you there is that. this void mm-hmm. of the other's desire. This is space. It, what's yeah. going on there? What's going on yeah,
1: yeah. there? Yeah, and then the trick for Lacan is the, it's not us that we don't know the mother's desire. The mother doesn't know her desire. Yeah. So that keeps every, that keeps basically, that's why curiosity is a universal facet of being human.
0: Interesting. Um, I like that. It's, I, you lost me a little bit, but it is interesting. Can I give you
1: an example then? Can I give you a good example? Uh, or do you want to say something first and then I'll give an example. No, give an example. Okay. Well, so example is um, somebody I know who...
0: Whenever you say this, I assume it's me. It's <laughs> And I keep it that way, yeah, even okay. if I know it's not that true. No, that may, if, it's you, if you're listening, assume it's you that yes, he's talking Yes, yes.
1: I'd I say this is not him or me, but that might not be true. <laughs> um, okay. This is somebody who, when he was about 15, went to an all-boys school. Did you go to an all-boys school? I feel like I did now. Uh, yeah, yeah no. It was an all-boys school. Um, and he went to a bus stop one day and there were some girls from the neighboring girls' school. Oh, uh, uh-oh, yeah. uh-oh. Yeah. And what happened was he thought they were laughing at him, right? This group of girls giggling and laughing. They may have been laughing at him or something They're else. They were
0: laughing but... at his tiny, stupid dick. Yeah,
1: mm. exactly. That's how he felt. <laughs> That's how he felt. And he was like, this is terrible. This is embarrassing. And so he left the bus stop and he walked home but he was also sexually aroused by it a little bit. He was yeah, turned by Yeah, because they were laughing it. at his tiny yeah. stupid <laughs> dick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be really liking this, is this you? Yeah, maybe I did go to an all boys <laughs> <store>. <laughs> So yeah, so we, he was repulsed by and desirous of this experience. So when when we were talking, I was like, okay, what's your earliest memory of this? What, what, does, what does it, through free association, what comes up? And the memory that came up is when he was young, one of his earliest memories is going to his sister's bedroom And his sister was with some friends and he was knocking on the door and the sister let him in and then his sister he was older and her friends were like laughing and giggling at him and kind of trying to embarrass him the younger brother the kind of thing Mm -hmm. right and at the time this was not that interesting experience it was just like whatever but what was interesting was this was his first experience of what does my sister want there was like this desire and he knew that they were getting something from him, but they didn't know what it was. Like they were enjoying humiliating him, and, but he couldn't quite figure out what that mm-hmm. was. And then in his adult life, that experience was relived in this experience of the bus stop. So that is object A. Das Ding was his initial encounter with the enigmatic abyss of his sister's desire. Which both, which, uh, which, then was relived in the object A mm. of the bus stop and which repulses tracks. repeating it, and repeating it. Repeating it, yeah. Which then kind of becomes part of his libidinal structure. Anyway, there you
0: go. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, totally. Love it. That's mm-hmm. great. I'm, not, I'm just joking. I'm being uh, facetiously cont- contrarian. Uh, mm-hmm. I was going to bring up how- And they
1: probably weren't laughing at you.
0: I know, exactly. So, I just want to clarify a couple things uh, about my experience with girls and in high school, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which was terrifying. Um, yeah. The uh, So, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but I'm going in one of my classes reading through um, a crap ton of Gilchrist stuff, and there's a really interesting chapter in the book that I think you should check out about uh, the book is Master and His Emissary, and um It's about the divided brain and the, you know, different hemispheres. He's experienced some contradictions and some uh, naysayers regarding his um, ideas, which can seem at first glance very binary and very simple, but he goes to pains to make sure that it's very nuanced and broad strokes, appreciation of the different hemispheres and the way they function. But it was interesting. So now we've gotten through kind of his, the biological part of kind of the neuroscience and we're entering into uh, history and Plato and uh, pre-Plato, Neolithic era, um, pre-Neolithic, all that stuff. And it's interesting what you mentioned with language. um, There there was something in it about how, first of all, there's... Good evidence to support the hypothesis that we evolved music prior to evolving language and we also evolved poetry prior to evolving prose, um, which you can see in different animals with the way that they, uh, not write poems, but they sing and whales and birds and all that stuff. And oh God, I thought you were going to say like the, the chimpanzees who write poetry. Yeah, well, is that, and, that
1: I'd never heard of? <laughs> yeah, and uh,
0: octopuses can write eight at a time, which yeah, is crazy. Wow. Uh, which would make sense because they have brain cells spread throughout their um, their tentacles. And so they ju- do compose it. Music as well. They yeah. do. That uh, we've all seen it. Yeah. Um, uh, did you know that an octopus's arm will reach out and do something and take care of something, and the main head of the octopus I has no idea that all of them operate and simultaneously because they're neurons. You not are, like if at night when your your hand
1: is in the fridge and you're reading and you're thinking about something. Oh crap! You're But
0: no, I didn't know. So they. they uh, anyway, about language. Uh, um, the specifically the. Greek language, uh, which was inherited by something. I forget the name of it, but there was the inclusion of vowels, which is not necessary in language, and then the idea of prose, of the way that the sentences are structured from left to right, and uh, the verb and the object and the noun. They, he touches a little bit on um, how it creates a kind of fragmented way of thinking about the world.
1: Vowels aren't needed in language? correct.
0: I want you to try to do the rest of this not podcast written. without using vowels. Yeah, vowels are apparently a new thing. Is that right? That we added. You do not have to have vowel. Languages get along just fine. A-E-I-O-U? A-E-I-O-U. Yeah, and just go, some... yeah uh, But they don't signify They don't put an actual letter for the sound. It's oh. in the... So, basically what happened was it went from pictographs to, you know, whatever graphs and it went further and further away from like a representation, you know, you're drawing a dog... To, uh, as a uh, form of language, to show that you're
1: critical of that position, but well, I keep reading it though. Okay, yeah, because yeah, okay. no, um, yeah, I'm curious okay, cool, what your thoughts right.
0: are, because it does line up a little bit with what you're saying and how language has evolved in such a way that it is a left hemisphere categorical, it's meant to control, it's meant to manipulate, and it's all housed in that particular hemisphere, which is the more myopic uh, view of the world, whereas the right hemisphere. Does not do that. So I would be curious to you hear know, your thoughts on it, at least in terms of Lacanian stuff, because I don't we just did a whole module on his understanding of like Plato and how that differs from other people's understanding. Um and Plato's kind of like uh not liking uh images and art and all that stuff.
1: So does, is he saying, because this is the this is interesting kind of linguistic thing, but is he saying that words you go back far enough diachronically, you go back far enough that you kind of that a word. Has an association with an object, so like that, and that words. So basically, you go back far enough, and it's almost like we saw an object, like a rock. We made a sound. The sound represented the rock. And then, as language becomes more sophisticated, it becomes more abstract. I don't know. That, I don't yeah, know critical of I'm that. Saying. Okay, yeah. that's good. Okay, because I think that's a wrong. That doesn't sound like view of language. What he's yeah. I think he's okay, a little that's more okay. Subtle
0: and uh, yes, because that sounds like something. Made up, but this it, it does. Yeah. It's difficult because he jumps around. But anyway, that's anyway, yeah, the second point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, point being, great book, worth your time, mm-hmm. interesting from a Lacanian point at yeah. least to, to hear. And uh, he's he's
1: becoming uh, big again. Like he's like he's always he a very famous guy, but in the last year um mcgilchrist is all over youtube again so he's um his work's taken a kind of a revival which is interesting yeah
0: i cannot wait to uh i'm going to talk to him and i'm very excited oh yes
1: that's right you're going to do an interview with him. yeah i'm going to interview him
0: and i have many many questions to uh to ask him and i told him some of them uh but he is just a really great i mean he's he loves to like and we're just going off on the tangent here but he, he loves hegel and he loves um he talks so much about contradiction and I about. See you're trying to win me over not If he likes Hegel, he's all right. 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 <laughs> uh, now, whether or not he likes the way you like him, yeah. that's a different matter. <laughs> but okay, so speaking of all this stuff that we were talking about, mm-hmm. uh, let's move on to a different question. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to muster up curiosity again. I guess uh, relax. I think that might be. <laughs> yeah, that was that the one word answer. That's, yeah, that's all we <laughs> needed. Yeah. Here, yeah. uh, yeah, that, that took us tab. on a
1: very nice 30 minute
0: tangent. That yeah. was great. That's great. <laughs> Ukraine or Canada or Joe Rogan Cancel Culture. Let's not do that. We actually just did one. but well, it will Joe Rogan. Yeah. Yes, it will be exclusively available at patreon.com slash thefundamentals. Because he
1: doesn't, doesn't want to put it out publicly because he's scared.
0: It's taking some time. And also, I don't want to.
1: <laughs> okay, well, your main issue is it's not topical it's anymore. It's not topical. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I don't want to be like, look at us now. It seems kind of yeah. like. Okay, so a Patreon like
1: exclusive. Because I feel bad for our patrons because we are terrible with our patrons. Yes. But yes. we're going to give a, 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 that Joe Rogan episode. So Exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, but there was one about memes that I wanted to dive oh, into. Oh, memes and mimetic culture. Mimetic desire. Yes, that is yeah, it. Let me wanted, see if I can find yeah. it just so I can yeah. give... The
1: actual... Uh, By the way, there were so many good ones. Like, every single one was a good one. I have Did to you say. have
0: one you wanted to talk about besides... Memes through the lens of mem- memetic desire from Adam Boyd. Mm. From Stevens? Oh, you said you weren't going to mention their names? Yeah, but he's got, like, a, one of those, um, like, LinkedIn photos. Like, I think he'd be mm. okay with it because he's, <laughs> he's got a uh, very nice headshot. And he's okay. very, very handsome, well put together man. I feel like if you do that, that's a good sign. That then you don't mind being
1: yeah. named. Yeah. And if
0: that was wrong, then you can call it memetic desire. Okay, so memes through lens of memetic desire. We are just talking about Plato. Plato did not like memes. Plato would not like <laughs> internet memes.
1: <laughs> that is a good, that's a good start. Do you want to say anything about that? That's yeah, good. absolutely.
0: Yeah, Plato uh, believed in uh, his ideal forms. And correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, everything that you see is a uh, further and further moved from the truest reality of these ideal forms. So when you get, say, um, uh, a shoe, you have a shoe, and that's a beautiful shoe. It is a uh, uh, copying of the ideal shoe, the ideal form of a shoe. It's a, a slightly removed from the actual um, ineffable. And then if you take that shoe and you make a painting of it, you're even further removing it from the truth and from reality. And therefore, art is is bad. <laughs> Except he yeah. didn't totally say that because apparently later he also said that those pieces of art can, in fact, link back to the actual ideal truths. And so uh, the art creates a, a conduit back and forth yeah. a little bit. Right? Which is, by the way, this is why Plato is really the beginning of philosophy.
1: Because so pre-Plato... There was this idea that and you see it in Greek mythology that that and this is interesting. I have loads of things said about this, but uh, Greek mythology was was not so much descriptions about the world. So people asked, well, did the Greeks really believe in their mythology? Like, well, not not really. Like
0: the, the answer I've heard is yes and no. Yes, yeah, so it's kinda of yes and no because But that's the, putting a belief on them that is very not the belief they had a different kind of way of. Yes.
1: And the thing is, so they had like, so mythologies that they had were contradictory and all of that. So one way of describing it, I think simply speaking, is that the, the Greeks were very interested in the idea of appearance. So the gods made manifest, themselves in appearances in kind of like usually decentering experiences like passions like if you were overcome like everything was a verb then it was like war was a passion of the gods yeah. desire a lot but the idea was that behind the realm of appearances we didn't have any access so really you did not know why the gods were doing what they were doing you had these mythologies that created narratives to help you kind of like try to make sense but there was very well known that basically the the motives of the gods were pretty much unknown. Unknown. Yes, unknown. Okay. Yeah, But with Plato and the philosophers, they turned it on its head. So Plato was going like, no. So in other words, the appearances told a, a type of truth. Behind the appearances, we just don't have any access. Yeah. But then Plato turns around and says, well, no, actually, not only can we know what's behind the curtain. We actually know that more. We can know that more. So for example, a perfect circle doesn't exist, but we can conceptualize a perfect circle as a form.
0: And that's more than what's and that's actually more, out
1: there. Because every time you draw a circle, it's gonna be less than a circle. So the realm of appearances is actually the realm of temporality and shadows and things that pass away. But two plus two equals four. Thieves can't break in and steal it. Moth and rust can't destroy
0: it. Two plus two equals four. Beyond, it, sensory beyond sensory reason itself yeah. becomes it becomes uh beyond the what you see with your
1: eyes and ears. Exactly. So that's kind of the beginning of philosophy because philosophers were interested in universals, and that's how science begins. It. It's what can we speak of that is universally true. That funnily enough, that you, like Newton's Laws is a good example. You never see something that stays in motion on with c- continually without deceleration, right? So the laws of Newton say that an object will stay in motion yeah. unless something else acts on it or will stay still unless something yep. else... But yeah, in my reality... tells me that all the time. Yeah, but reality... It's you never
0: Was it? My therapist tells me that all the time. It's very annoying.
1: In what way? Oh,
0: that's interesting. Where I'm feeling unmotivated. Yeah. He goes, well, things that are in motion stay in motion and things that aren't in motion... Uh, stay still oh very good and i go mm, well i'm sitting here aren't i so it looks like yeah. I'm pretty still at the moment and then we fist fight and i leave uh,
1: yeah yeah you you mud wrestle naked and then exactly. leave, yeah. and we make out yeah those, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah that's what I, I see in my head <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The make wow and it gets very passionate there's anger there's it's tears great, exactly. and then there's love making <laughs> the high five at the end yeah. <laughs> but but you never see newton's laws in reality
0: newton's laws are a type of platonic form which is also to say that Newton's laws are be all and end all. Like, yeah. Then that quantum world came Oh, in. yeah. See, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And yeah. That's a whole, that's, yeah, very interesting stuff. Who who, <laughs> you know? who wants to get it? Who wants to hear people who know nothing about nothing talking about uh, something they don't know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that's why you tune in. Welcome kidding. to, that's <laughs> talk where, about welcome to the
0: fundamentalists. <laughs> Uh, my favorite quote <laughs> about quantum physics is, if somebody says that they know about it. quantum physics, they don't, they don't know about quantum uh, physics.
1: Did you tell me that? I don't know, but I know it's a famous quote. Yeah, I Actually, I was on a podcast two days ago with this friend now of mine, funny. Danny. He's a great guy who he wants to do these long-form interviews. And I was so, so I was like, long-form interview, that's fine. And I booked a car to go over. I rent a car to go over for three hours. We literally talk for six hours, like it's a six-hour podcast. Like he's wanting to blow Joe Rogan out of the water. Wow. Yeah, but but that we were talking quantum mechanics at a certain point. You mean in length? Point. In length. Yeah. Yes. No. Also, in everything, we're going to be the Good. next. Good for him. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> so memes through that oh yes, Exactly. So to we, bring it back, so that was a, yeah. That was a tangent. Tangent on Plato. It's important. I think it is very important to bring up Plato regarding. Memes, because the whole idea of mimesis of copying, right? That's yes. all. It goes back to Plato, and it goes back to the value of copying something. I personally consider memes to be internet memes. Um, so the to word- be
1: your sole way of getting knowledge about the world,
0: C- kind of, <laughs> uh, at least feeling it. Yeah. Uh, I do think there's an affect involved with reading memes, and it's very fascinating. The word meme comes from originally Richard Dawkins in mm. uh, *The Selfish Gene*. Wanted a word that sounded like gene. Uh, and Mimesa, so we created Meme, and it was a highly uh, transferable piece of information. It could go very quickly. However, it is far removed from the internet memes that we have today, because the internet memes that we have today have a certain amount of creativity, human creativity added to them that makes them uh, also highly shareable, but also a little individual, a little creative, a little something that's um, different than what Dawkins intended. I personally think memes um <clears throat> I, I have to give this plug because I think he's so quirky and fun. But there's this dude I follow named Meme Analysis on YouTube. And he looks at memes from uh, a, I would say. Oh, that's my coffee machine. That's him. Yeah. What is that, a coffee machine? <laughs> yeah. My thoughts on this really quick. When I was a kid, I wanted nothing more than to be an entertainer. What do we got over there? coffee machines going? <laughs> <laughs> I would to say that legally, source, yeah. fed There's water just spitting out of this coffee machine. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's called Meme Analysis. The dude... <laughs> this is so funny, dude. Life repeats itself. Yeah. You wouldn't believe how many coffee machines... How, ma- how No, yeah. how... Oh, my God. Okay, you want to talk about synchronicity? Okay, so no, listen to this.
1: Nobody wants to talk about yes, that. Yes, you do. <laughs>
0: uh- okay. The One of the most viral moments of my career has been, if not the most viral, is a moment in SourceFed when we were having a serious discussion and a coffee machine turned on. No way. And we said, what is that a coffee machine? And it became a bit over and over again because no one could get a word out edgewise because of the coffee machine. And now… I know most of those people aren't listening, but what a beautiful moment that just was while talking about memes. Wow! And the virality. So that's three we should just different stop now. This is like when Freud and Jung were talking, <laughs> and Jung said there's going to be some sort of apparitional Paris lunette, yeah. and then it yeah. happened again. Yeah. And he said some jumbo mumbo. So anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, memes. Uh, meme analysis. This dude covers them in a way that he he goes through the actual like big memes that kind of take off. Pepe the frog, a lot of the weird faces and he matches them up with sort of the ancient archetypal uh, things that they're still describing. So I think memes, personally, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of what he says, but the idea of them being the same thing that's always been around for a very long time of simplifying making something shareable making something uh, infecting is uh, is there for sure yeah
1: and here's the thing about this this connects as also well art. i was mm-hmm. i was so, want to
0: add that i think meme, internet memes are a weird weird art form that is it's like the nft of art it is a weird thing and it is hyper simplified and that is part of the art because i think it has to do with the internet being a highly complex and uh, contradictory place and memes are so simple and so immediate that it offers a sort of balancing act a reprieve from the overall chaos of the internet. Very good. Okay, well, you took meme, so
1: I'll do mimetic desire. Yes. And this connects with the, actually the curiosity thing because I'm the das thing and the object A because so mimetic desire comes from René Girard. René Girard, the anthropologist philosopher who talked about how we we learn what to desire through looking at the desire of the other. So we mimic the, the desire so I start to desire what you desire you go out with somebody you start to take an interest in what they like and then you feel that it's your desire but actually you, you learn how to desire through the other's desire yeah. and this creates well for, for, for Gerard this is one of the the roots of violence because what happens in any society is because mimetic desire is constantly happening so even with an infant they're they're Mirroring the smile of the mother or the father, they're mirroring what they see. Yeah. Um, but this mirroring creates all sorts of problems because people start to desire the same things, and then they start to fight over those things, and then they start to kill over those things. And this all
0: thinking is, that they really want those things. Those
1: things, yeah. So the scape the scapegoat. This is the scapegoat mechanism. Then they have to create some third that they blame that creates a an opportunity to kind of bring. Peace back into the violent community, all of that. So mimetic desire is is very close to the Lacanian dusting, thing, which is
0: the, yeah, the like mirror stage. Like what's the, it the mirror stage? The mirror
1: stage, and 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 the kind of and the idea that that desire is, which we don't really think about, like is really the most valuable thing in the world. Like we don't like what we desire is the desire of the other. We desire the desire of the one we desire, and and des- and so it's not even that we want to be rich. Sometimes we have that. if you want to be rich, ask yourself, who do you want to be rich for? Who are you trying to impress? Whose desire are you trying to evoke? Whether positively or negatively, who do you want to piss off? Who do you want to kind of make go, oh my goodness, right? So desire um, and even our fantasies always, like I talked about dusting is a, our fantasies are often a, a, a theatrical replaying in which we try to figure out what the desire is of the, mm-hmm. the other. So all of this to say, curiosity, curiosity it all comes back to curiosity, but, and it all comes back to, to how, um, desire and the desire of the other, it's not even our own desire. This is what mimetic desire is about is it's not my own desire. That's most important. What's most important is the desire of the one that I desire. So and this is how we fall in love this is how we fall into hatred of each other this is how all of this yeah. stuff goes on
0: i also think taking it back to internet memes for a second no. i do think uh there are times many times when i look at a meme and i see it and i go all right whatever and then i see it again and again and again and after a while like say the drake meme um uh, my one of my personal favorites Which one? The Drake meme—he's uh, shrugging off one thing at the top, and then he's kind of pointing at it at the bottom. Oh yeah, not this, but this. Uh, uh, I love the distracted boyfriend meme—is another oh, yeah, yeah. one that's that's um, become massive. Like, yes, over time. Uh, Jason Momoa sneaking up on Henry Cavill is a very fun <laughs> one for me. Uh, but there is a point where a little gray area. Um, where I'll see these memes and go, man, all right, all right, I get it, I get it, I get it. You know, because immediately, I'm like, all right, all right, I understand, I understand. The more I see them, the more I see them, you know, I, I input them into my brain, eventually I start thinking they're very funny. And I yeah. start going, ha ha, yes, that is funny. I, I get it now, ha, and I, I lighten up a little bit about it. But the first couple times, just seeing it once doesn't do it, but repeat, uh. Uh, sense sensation whatever uh, creates this sort of like oh this is funny now so I do think that's part of the meme is you sort of get you uh, get used to them and then it becomes funny
1: yes and and there's something and I have to think about this a lot more than just us chatting but the memes that I've seen a lot of the memes I've seen. Are precisely about mimetic desire. They're precisely about these underlying structures of oh, desire. Oh, oh. Yeah. So it's yeah, and and they, so they hit on these fundamental modalities of desire that are universal. That um, I'm trying. You know, that I need to think of some examples. But but actually, to take the examples, like you have a picture of, say, that girl who's walking down the street the guy's looking at her the girl's yeah, like distracted at him, right? boyfriend Yeah, what's it called distracted boyfriend distracted boyfriend right that is like an underlying structure that then you put different content yeah. onto so there's hundreds of probably thought tens Endless. of thousands of infinite right of, of different content that's put on that structural form of desire you're pulled
0: in one direction and you're desiring something and you're also the distracted boyfriend meme i think is a great example of uh the neurosis living the neuro- showing the neurosis on the surface so it has a sort of mythological bent to it where you're seeing it all there because it's you're he's expressing a desire openly that uh, I think part of that uh, incites in us like, wow, look at him be a he's being a dick yeah. like I'm one of he's being a, a unfaithful, gross, brutish dude. but at the same time it's kind of funny because we can all relate. To secretly keeping an eye out for whatever that other, the yeah. the forbidden thing is, and I think I, that's a and a, if you read it like, universal, yeah, idea.
1: which yeah yeah, and if you read it in terms of neurosis and like you could say that I mean it's a very similar like that you know he's desiring what's impossible. So the the obsessive desires yeah. what they can't have. Um, she is an hysteric. She her desire is evoked through jealousy. That like she goes like yep. he's under threat of being taken away, and then you see her like smile, which is almost like she's enjoying the Aphrodite. desire. So it's a triangulation of uh, of neurosis, which is which is a universal thing. And then so then you can just put on an infinite number of pieces of content onto that universal neurotic structure. Yep. Um,
0: yeah. Anyway, there's
1: some. Thoughts. I thought that was
0: nice. Mm. Um, do you remember one that you would like? Otherwise, mm. I will choose one that I, I'm at random. I remember one that I quite liked, which was uh, just
1: uh, that philosophy seems like a really interesting endeavor. But where do you start? How do you jump in? Is there is there a is there a good place to begin with the intellectual
0: life? Um, okay, I found it. Okay. This is from Berber. And Barbara says the philosophy world seems like the most interesting thing we can pursue. Okay, well, sorry, I uh, agree. But it's also <laughs> it's also Byzantine and tough to find an entry point and what order to go in. Can you disentangle all of that? That is a great question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what an interesting, interesting. Dis- Starting off point, yes,
1: and this is very pro- so. I've got some practical things
0: to say. I'll I get do less. too.
1: Okay, well, do you want to start, or do I'll start? start with this okay, one? You start with it. Okay, go for it.
0: Um, and then, because uh, you'll have something better. Uh, <laughs> so I would say this links up everything in between. Uh, the starting point, I think, is that little spark uh, in your brain that goes, "Hmm, this is really, but where do I begin?" Don't get into that just go what am I what's the most basic thing that I'm curious about because I think any little thread, even if it seems like the most mundane silly thing that you could answer with a Google question will immediately lead you into a absolute just hall of mirrors and also history and I, I think philosophy has it incorporates so many other areas from science to physics to all these things and it seems, to neurobiology that uh, you will be able to just sort of like going through a maze, go, okay, this way, not this way, this way, not this way. And you will find a very, it'll be about the journey. It'll be very enriching.
1: That Like that's beautifully said. That's exactly what I wanted to say. Really? Is, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, there is no chapter one to philosophy. That's what I was like. There's no chapter one. Like like sometimes, like if, if, if someone has a very kind of ordered mind, they might go well. Is the best thing to do to go to the pre-Socratics and then go over time and look at the development of Ugh. thought. Yeah, or or is it possible to do chronological and kind of a, or like <clears throat> or, or or theme based or even like alphabetically or whatever? But you'd you'd never get anywhere because <clears throat> every thought thinker you could live for a life on. So the key is you know where wherever you've got off on the bus you start like. Where, where you're at, what's the question you've got, what's, what's is there a thing? Now, I I would give a little bit more practical advice in the aftermath of this, but it's basically start wherever, when you, all roads lead to room. You can start anywhere. And as soon as you start reading Agreed. one thinker, they open up other thinkers. Yep. And if you do it for long enough, and it, it takes a long time for this to happen, but You do it for long enough and you start to make all of these connections. And suddenly it's like, so I've been doing this for a long time, obviously 20 years. I've been doing it for 30 years. So in my head now, it's almost like a a whiteboard with all of these different thinkers and lines between them and back and forth Mm -hmm. and all that. But it's like you can start anywhere on that whiteboard, anywhere at all. The only thing I would say then is try to start with a good thinker. Try to start with someone who's canonical, someone who's going to, like, you know, start with, like, so don't start with just a YouTube commentator, right? You know, start with, a, you know, a writer who's written a I would a body say of so you work. can start with a YouTube commentator. Well, yeah, if it's us. We're YouTube commentators, I guess, are we? So, no,
0: no one listens to us. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, we're not popular enough. <laughs>
0: no, they uh, listen. But, well, yeah. listens. Uh, no, listens. No, um, I have to, to interject that you just... Reminded me of a meme uh, when you're like, it's like a whiteboard and I see all these things. There's a meme from Always Sunny in Philadelphia with Charlie and it, he it's a very common meme, but he's just blasted out of his eyes and he's got just these red bleeding eyes and he's looking at the white marker board and he just oh, looks like he's right. gone absolutely insane. And I, 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 I think like, I know him. Is his name Josh? And no, it's no. Charlie Day uh charlie dame but it's so fun and that's what it reminds but anyway sorry yes so uh but i would say if you start with a youtube don't get it off uh youtube is a i watch youtube for when i am eating lunch and i uh want to keep consuming it but i don't want my brain to be too worn out so youtube is a nice uh easy way to do it and i I like it as a filler but you gotta go to some uh, books and i would Give a shout out to libraries
1: yeah them. oh yeah and by the way like i love like youtube now especially with covid one of the few things about covid is that so many academic institutions have been putting their material online yeah like so i actually use youtube as an intellectual resource so when i say uh youtube commentator what i mean is kind of like i like the some of the pop i watch some of the pop ones i watch some of the pop ones that i agree with and that i disagree with because i enjoy it but there is lots of good intellectual content on YouTube, like huge, huge amounts. Uh, Lacan Online is very good. And uh, there's loads of good ones. But plastic anyway. Plastic pills. What's that?
0: Plastic pills.
1: Oh, plastic pills is very good. I they're too deluzian for me. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, well, I'll yeah, I'll but look but it up I do, on but they do very good stuff. And that guy's very good. And I I watch I watched his first video and I actually made a comment, which I never do on YouTube saying the quality of this is incredible. Um, De- Deleuzean? Deleuzean. They're very into Deleuze and Guattari. Oh. You're kind of continental philosophers yeah, I'm more critical of. Anyway, but they were great. That's not a slag. That's more of a just in-house kind of inside baseball stuff.
0: Yeah, You heard it first here, folks. Yeah, oh, yeah
1: the beef <laughs> begins. Plastic pills Anyone versus cares. the fundamentalists. <laughs> the fight of the century. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, it's like some philosophers are so hard you can't get into them without secondary commentary. Yeah, like Hegel. Yes, like Hegel, like Derrida, like Lacan. like these big ones are like, right? So if you're going to go for a, if you want to start with a big thinker, you also might start, try to find one of the best interpreters of that thinker and try to read them
0: side by side. But I would say on a practical note, I really enjoy um, because I don't, I have a very hard time, I think I can relate a little bit to that question in terms of like, you can read these thinkers, you can listen to your curiosity, but you don't really know where there's an uh, urge to put it somewhere chronologically or to place it in the overall context of history. And uh, I do love the book, Passion of the Western Mind. I am enjoying this Master and His Emissary book for the fact that it's very, it's not, you're not going to learn the in-depth of any of it, but Broad strokes, getting a certain ideas, can I think um, elicit a little bit of like a, okay, I like this. It's interesting that this led to this, and this wave is interesting. What were they thinking there? And you can dive into that. Um, I don't think there's any wrong answer, but I do think it is an overwhelming thing. So um, if at any point it stops being fun, I think you should – or at least – or challenging, like challenging and like, a, oh, this is, a, you can't get it. Like I think anybody can get it if you dive into it, but keep it in line yes, good, with what you're wanting.
1: A good history. Like, and this is, this is where I go. Like there's, and there's, there's one wrong place to start, which is Bertrand Russell's history of Western philosophy. It's terrible. No. I mean Bertrand was, Russell's very, it's just not very good. Like he, he literally, I don't think he talks about Hegel at all. I think he's got one footnote, but but in terms of a very good exhaustive history, I think I've got a Copleston's history of philosophy. You're not gonna read all of that, but that is a very good, incredibly comprehensive history of philosophy that, that's actually very, yes. very good. But yeah, I'm trying to think of other ones. Well,
0: Passion of the Western Mind is one uh, book. Uh and that is seven. Yeah. Eight? <laughs> nine?
1: My God. Yes, yeah, nine books. Yeah. <laughs> and nine really big books. And the 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 writing is very small. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you would no, you're not gonna read that start to finish. That would be not yeah. yeah.
0: Well, we have time for one more. Oh, one more. All yeah. right. So let's do. Uh, I'm this gonna, is a great way of doing a podcast. I love this. This <laughs> might be our way of doing it. It's such a lazy way to do it. <laughs> that way, we're not trying to stretch out uh, threads. We're trying to yeah. connect threads, which is fun. I enjoy. I enjoy that very much. Mm. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, no. No. Mm. Mm. All right. Here is the final question okay let's do it i was still trying to find it. i know what one Go. it is oh okay okay i figured it out all right this is from um pseudo justin and he says am i going to enjoy this
1: more or are you going to enjoy this more is this a is this a peak question no, or a i mean that's fine It's those says, socks are very light by the way My yeah goodness. they're good. no way Oh my goodness, no way. That's amazing. That guy was interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, Anyway, the grass is always greener. Uh, Comparing yourself to others. How to make my own damn green grass green. I figured this out. It works for everybody. You have nothing to worry about. How to not worry about the grass being greener on the other side. How to make instead your own grass green, I think, is the only option. Is to metaphorically, you have to... I was hoping you'd get practical because I know you do
1: a lot of practical stuff around the house. Yes, there's Absolutely. a
0: lawn. There's a lawn company called Sunday, no, uh, which I've used. Uh, you know, anyway. So uh, you get some green tinted glasses. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. Boom. There you go. Yeah, very good. So is it my turn now? Yeah, you know, if you want. Yeah. I figure we're winding down, but <laughs> I, I think it's a bigger question. Yes, well, I it. if you answer in a sincere way. Okay. I, think I was a cop out. Uh, yeah, answer. well,
1: because I was also thinking, what do you? What's Raccoons? You have a problem with raccoons destroying your garden, don't you?
0: Yeah. Do you still have that? No, they destroyed the garden, so the raccoons are still there. It's just the garden. Oh right, the, the yard gone. is 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 dead, but the raccoons are still there. Oh, they have. Um, nice. Do you see them? Do you see them quite frequently? Oh. Yeah, and they're. I'm not gonna lie, pretty cute. Well, see, this is the thing I know about <laughs> you. Like, you love animals. I do. Like, I don't think you would hate them. I don't think you no. could. You it's could. very difficult to get angry in the daytime at a raccoon. Who is laying inside your bushes staring dead at you, eating a leaf like it's on a couch eating crackers. It's oh, yeah. very cute. And um, you know, you want them to leave, but not, you know, not yeah. entirely. So, very good. Well, okay. So my answer, I'm gonna do try to
1: do a callback here. Connects with the mimetic desire and it connects with curiosity. So look at this is this is impressive. Nice. Um <laughs> you know, if I do say so myself though, is um the grass is always greener. I think it's it's a and the dusting and all of that is that that often we we um, kind of assume that the other has this access to their own desire. This other has some sort of secret desire. This this something. So a lot of for in a Lacanian frame, there's basically the idea that we tend to fantasize that someone else has everything that we don't we look at stars or we look at movie stars or musicians, or we look at even friends or whatever, and we fantasize that that they have some undivided, absolute kind of like pleasure and we feel jealous. We either feel jealous of them because we desire what they have, or we're envious of the relationship they have with the thing that they have. So envy is, is you don't want what they have, but you want the relationship they have with maybe their partner or their whatever. Um, And in Lucanian psychoanalysis, this is a fiction, is that the other is just as divided as you. Now, they may have a better, happier life in small ways, like there's better and worse, but there's nobody who's sitting and is not a question to themselves. There's no one who's not an hysteric. There's no one who is not um, in some way disavowing or wrestling with or repressing their own dissatisfaction. That's a part of life. And once you realize this, and this was my insight, this is, this is called, and this is another question actually that somebody mentioned, this can be called subjective destitution for Lacan. Subjective destitution sounds very negative, <laughs> um, but it's the moment in which you realize that the other that you're fantasizing has the greener grass, is also divided like you. That whenever Hegel said the mysteries of the Egyptians were mysteries to the Egyptians themselves, for my friend, the desire of his sister was a mystery to his sister as well. Like his, the there is a certain no one sense, knows what they're doing. Yes, there's an alienation within all desire. The grass then, then when you realize that, you realize that although somebody, as I say, might have a bit of a better life in some ways, and you can you can work to get a better life, you realize that that there is no undivided. Person, there is no non alienated yeah. subject.
0: Lovely. What yeah. a great, actual, substantial answer. Uh, I have a slight reply to it. Um, I would say You know someone who has everything. I've seen some you green are. grass in my day. <laughs> yes. Uh, but Kanye I, West. Exactly. Yep. Uh, pff, God, you want to talk about that? Yeah. Yep. I don't worry. I do not envy his green grass. Okay. Um, yeah. He, uh, <clears throat> whatever. So, but in my uh, time on the internet, there have been periods in which I have been the, I think, uh, and my friends, my coworkers, colleagues have been the symbol of green grass. Yes, hundred percent. Heard verbatim how much people have um, uh, seen this sort of dynamic, this sort of green grass, and thought, "Man, if only I had something like that." Yeah. And then, of course, uh, hyper self aware, hyper neurotic, hyper whatever. I was always very aware that that was not a real, th- not a real. Th- not an unreal thing, but not as greeny, grassy as people would like to have thought it was. I and can that, testify to the lack of green grass. I think everyone can at this like- point. <laughs> uh, we've made it pretty clear. Uh, but it definitely, however, I will say that also, that that um, putting on the, uh, it was like a, a responsibility almost of, of being this sort of, st- Friendship Greengrass, this sort of wonderfully beautiful collective in all aspects. It definitely, though, I would say the act of seeing people go, oh, these people have it all together, helped reveal – how not together it was. And so I don't think it's necessarily the green grass is something you can escape from. I also think that the active part of desiring the undesirable in some way, uh, whether or not they desired it or not to, is all part of uh, an action of life. It's a very beautiful thing. Because I, 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 I went from... Being very like, oh, people just don't understand. They're whatever. It's you know they're thinking grass is greener, but the truth is, blah blah blah. But the more I look back on it now, it was the actual reality was I was unable to see how green the grass actually was, and that I wouldn't have been able to do it had uh, people not projected that a little bit. And I think that's nice. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, sometimes there's a substitute enjoyment for the um nope. But there's a thing in America I noticed where, you know, you write letters about how great your kids are. And sometimes your kids, you go, oh, little Johnny's getting A's and is going to go to Harvard when little Johnny's got a drug addiction, lives in a car. Um, But is it because there's a substitute enjoyment of thinking that people think that you have the object of desire? So there's a desire. That's why they say success is the sweetest revenge. Not because success in itself is good, but because... Green grass, baby. Yeah, if someone thinks you've got the green grass, then you get the pleasure of them thinking that you have the pleasure. Yeah, isn't that dark? It's dark. But but you're exactly, you know this from the inside, and this is why it's beautiful, is that because this structure, I think the structure is so universal and and it's so caught up in contemporary society and we need to break free from it, but that you know it from the inside, that yes, the people looked, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people look to you guys, which you weren't even trying to say this, but as the grass is greener, like a lot of lonely people who had broken relationships with their family, broken relationships with other people, a lot of lonely people who weren't able, like myself when I was younger, probably still now, but not not feeling comfortable in social environments. They would watch online, a group of friends joking, having yep. fun together in this beautifully lit, really like all, like this incredible environment. And it was like, that's what I want. And they either idealized it or they were envious of it. They were drawn
0: to it. Which is not a bad thing.
1: It's not a bad thing necessarily. Like, yeah, there's good and bad. It's just that
0: we also wanted it.
1: Yes. yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) The people who were in it. Yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. That's the thing is like that even the ones who were in it didn't Wouldn't this be us. great? Wouldn't this be great if this fiction
0: was real? So uh, yeah. <laughs> it was, parts of it were real. Parts yeah, real.
1: Well, it. yeah, and the parts of it is like, like, there's great friendships, there's great things, but but nobody has the utterly fulfilled, non-alienated non-ali- reality. Yes, non-alienated reality. Yeah. And in fact, so the cure is to realize that the grass is never as green as we want it to be, and it's never
0: as green as we think the other person has it. And sometimes the grass is green because people have been shitting all over it. Yes. And that's <laughs> uh my final thoughts on this, folks. If you would like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash the fundamentalists. You can also watch the video format of this at youtube.com slash See my uh my indoor outdoor right pool shirt. It's worth it this time, guys. <laughs> uh and uh for any whatever you can DM us, let us know. We're happy to talk. Um and we look forward to seeing you next time. Any closing thoughts, Pete?
1: No, I was at, oh one thing, and i just this is my closing thought on this um it would be living in la you get to sometimes see behind the curtain you get to see the other side um you've had this more than i have but where maybe you get to go to a party with somebody who is very rich or very famous yes and you see behind the curtain and you realize that is just as broken i mean i mean it's not that it's the same because it's not that the winners are just as bad as the losers the losers lose doubly like if you're poor you lose doubly, but it's a weird. We've got a system where even the winners lose. <laughs> you know,
0: so, yeah, yeah. Because um, I feel like it's really easy to go down the path of like mm. we're all the same. No, it's, you know, exactly we're not all that. just. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. Rich people have it better. Yeah. Like, uh, you can't fool me there. Yes. They have nicer, funner cars.
1: Yes, that's it. So it's like it's not that the winners are losing. The winners are winning, but in their winning, they're also losing, and the losers lose doubly. Mm-hmm. The losers lose incredibly badly, but. The whole system is premised on the on the fiction of greener grass. If we could all kind of like break free of this libidinal fiction, we might be able to construct a society of less inequality.
0: Um, anyway, I don't want to get too Beautiful. kind that's, of that's out, a different you know, yeah, political. but I, I think it's a lovely note to end on. Thank you everybody for watching. We'll see you next. Time. See you next week.